You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning. Welcome to Real Life. Uh, both of you are joining us here in person and online. Uh, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, like Carrie said, my name is Logan. I have the amazing honor of serving as the youth pastor here. I cannot believe that it is already so close to Christmas. Um, it seems like just yesterday I was buying like candy in bulk for Halloween and now I'm like trying to keep my cat out of my Christmas tree. It all came very fast. Um, it, it really caught me off guard. Um, and so if this is your first time joining us, uh, then we are a little bit over halfway through uh, our Advent series uh, called The Journey. Uh, we've been walking through kind of the journey of scripture and faith uh, that, t- that we take during the Christmas time and during the Christmas season. Uh, last week, Adam walked us through um, some amazing stories and instances of faithfulness, specifically the faithfulness of God, which often seems um, to present itself even more so in the absence of our faith. Uh, and the week before that, Josh gave a really, really encouraging message about the beautiful promises of God um, and the promises that he has for us, not just here in this Advent season, but all year long. And so um, if you've been here for uh, all three weeks so far, then we're glad you're here. But if this is your first time, then don't worry, you can jump right in as well. So uh, as we get closer to Christmas, again, totally caught me off guard. uh, There are a couple of things that we kind of naturally associate with like holiday time. Um, One of my favorite things is having a white Christmas. I love snow. Um, I know that we, we got a ton this morning. There's like a couple inches out there this morning. But last Monday, I remember, it snowed all day long. If anyone remembers that, the, the roads became like very, very hazardous for about half an hour. Um, and I only live a couple of blocks from here, and so oftentimes in the morning, I'll find myself walking to work. It's only like a five-minute walk. Um, and as I, on Monday, as I was kind of walking, normally I put in my headphones, I'm listening to my podcast, and I'm just barreling through trying to get to the building. But as it was snowing, I kind of took a moment, and I... I took out my headphones and I just kind of watched the snowfall. And I just kind of enjoyed the silence of it falling. And it was a moment that turned into several minutes until eventually I was just an idiot standing there in like 30 degree weather going, oh my goodness, (laughs) so beautiful. That might seem like a totally normal thing. uh, But for me, that was something that had a lot of build up to it. Um, If you're anything like me, you probably hate silence. Uh, I hate silence. When I say I hate silence, I mean I hate silence. I hate it with a burning passion. Um, I, I've always been the kind of person where when I, wa- when I get home at the end of the day, I walk in, all the lights are turned on. Uh, the TV, music, uh, a show, something is turned on. Um, a blender is going. I hate silence. I will do anything to fill the void. Um, even when I'm like grocery shopping, I'll put in like wireless headphones just so I don't have to endure like my own thoughts bouncing around in the back of my skull as I walk through the produce aisle. Like I just, I hate it. I hate it so much. I, I have a really hard time just kind of standing and existing. Um, I, so standing in silence and kind of watching that snow fall was, it was a big moment for me and it was really calming and beautiful. And I just kind of stood there and all I heard was like the, the snowflakes falling in the silence. And as I was preparing for today, uh, Pastor Greg, um, our worship pastor, he, he shared a quote with me uh, from a French philosopher named Blaise Pascal. Uh, he said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. <laughs> that hit me a little bit harder than I was hoping. <laughs> because for many of us, uh, the Advent season isn't 
always necessarily one of beauty and joy, though it is a time of beauty and joy. For a lot of us, it's not. Um, For a lot of us, it can be a really difficult time of year. For a lot of us, uh, the Christmas season can be one of silence. Even that made me uncomfortable. (laughs) And that's what I wanted to talk about today, is this idea of silence in the Christmas story. Um, in fact, the Christmas story that we're really familiar with has a little bit of a, a, little bit of a prequel to it, um, and it's completely filled with silence. So before the angel Gabriel came, and um, hopefully you know the classic Christmas story, the angel Gabriel comes and visits Mary, tells her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Before that happened, uh, there was a little bit of uh, a preamble to that story, um, and it was specifically about Mary's cousin's husband, which is a couple steps removed. I think that makes him his first cousin. But it's not what you think of when you think of the Christmas story. It's like, ah, yes, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her cousin's husband. You don't think about that very often. Um, But before we see Gabriel visit uh, Mary, we see her visit a man named Zachariah. And Zachariah's story, uh, it might not seem as miraculous or as beautiful or as amazing as Mary and Joseph's because mostly we're just not as familiar with it. And also, because for the most part, this story is quiet. It's very, very quiet. In the book of Luke, we're given into a peek behind the curtain into the life of this man named Zechariah. And his life wasn't just quiet, but it was steeped in silence. So his story starts in Luke 1, starting in verse 5, we read, In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, I don't know why, but whenever I read that, I always had an extra very, and they were very, very old. (laughs) We're told that Zechariah is a priest, uh, which meant that his job was to go to the temple uh, and help people come face to face with God. Now, luckily, in our day and age, through Jesus and a lot of what happened in the New Testament, we don't need specific people to stand between us and God. We get the chance to to come and worship. But this title of priest gives us kind of an insight into what Zachariah's life would have been like. See, this story takes place at the end of uh, this really historical time called the intertestamental period. It's kind of a bunch of scholarly uh, ideas, but it's right at the tail end of the 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Um, This time is also known as the period of silence. See, in the Old Testament, we find a ton of amazing stories of God um, speaking in what you, like typical Old, Old Testament fashion where he's like literally verbally speaking to his people. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Yet in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's a different story. And it's hard to imagine because for us, when we grab our Bibles and we go to the last book of the Old Testament, like Malachi, the difference between that and the beginning of the New Testament is just a single flip of the page. But for them, it was 400 years of silence. 400 years. To put that in context, that is the entire lifespan of America. From inception to now, plus another 155 years of God going radio silent. And seemingly, he's not speaking to his people, at least not the way that he used to. This is what Zachariah is living in. He would get up every morning, 
He'd make his commute to the temple. He would walk in thinking, maybe, maybe today, maybe today is the day that I finally hear from God. Maybe today is the day when it's not just a normal routine. Maybe today is the day when I get to hear the Lord and break the silence. Yet in reality, like most of us, when we kind of get into the motions of our lives, he most likely was going through the motions. Go to the temple, clock in, light the incense, and wait for a God that you didn't actually think was going to say anything. 400 years is a long time for there to be silence. And on top of all this, it says that Elizabeth was barren and very old. Not very, very old, I just read it as that. Elizabeth was barren and very old. And to us, that seems unfortunate. It's like, oh no, they wanted to have a kid and they weren't able to. But to Zachariah and Elizabeth, to be at a state where you're very old and to not have children would be devastating. Um, With no child, their line would eventually die with them. There'd be no one to continue on their family. And also, they didn't really have a retirement plan. It's not like Zachariah is getting a 401k from the temple. Like, if they don't have a kid, that means there's no retirement plan. There's no one to take care of them when they go home. There's no real hope for the future beyond themselves. So they would have been trying for a child. It's not if they would have been trying for a child. And if they're, if they're old in age, it meant that they were trying for a very, very long time. And in spite of all this, though, we read in that verse that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. And they lived well with hope for the end to the silence of their lives. But that didn't change the fact that day in and day out, Elizabeth didn't have a child, and Zechariah went into the temple and heard nothing. And he spent his days in silence a lot of the time. So as the story goes on in Luke 1, um, something unexpected happens, as happens in a lot of biblical stories. Uh, We find Zechariah in the temple. It's just a normal day. He goes to work, and he's in the temple alone. It says that he's lighting incense at the altar when suddenly he is visited by the great angel Gabriel and he comes down and naturally it scares, scares the daylights out of Zechariah. He's terrified for a moment because angels are scary. But they come down and Gabriel reassures Zechariah and he's like, no, you don't, have to be, you don't have to be scared. In fact, he says, I come bearing good news. The angel tells him that uh, he and, Elizabeth prayer, and Elizabeth's prayers have been answered and his wife is going to give birth to a son and they're going to name him John. And he's telling him these amazing things and what will go on and how it's going to happen and how eventually this son of theirs is going to go and, and turn the hearts of God's people to something even more amazing than just himself. And the angel comes and he gives this good news and it's a break from the typical silence that he's used to. But Zechariah, poor Zechariah, his heart is too steeped in silence, and his existence is dripping in quiet, and he, he finds it too good to be true. And so rather than acting in excitement, he acts out of skepticism. He looks up at Gabriel, and he says, you know what, I don't, that's good news and all, but I don't even know if I'm really supposed to expect that that's going to happen, because he says, I've been waiting here by the phone for God to call for a long, long time. And he basically looks at Gabriel and says, how, on, how am I supposed to know that this is true? How am I supposed to know that this is actually going to happen? And so the angel responds to him in chapter, uh, still in chapter one, verse 19. And it says, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. 
kind of a theme in the Bible of when people ask, ask for answers of God or God's messengers. A lot of times they don't give straight answers. They just go, I'm an angel, like, deal with it. <laughs> and so he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And in a seemingly cruel joke, Zechariah's physical circumstances suddenly match that of his heart because he try, the angel leaves and he tries to speak and he, there's no words coming out. And a man whose life was filled with silence is suddenly literally forced to be silent. You might find yourself during this Christmas season in similar circumstances, especially during the Christmas season. See, for all the holly and the jolly and the cheer, for many of us, Christmas is a time when the silence that has been present in our lives all year long just kind of has an opportunity to scream louder. It can be devastating. It can be difficult. It can be hard. And we don't talk about it a lot because Christmas is a time of joy and fun and beauty. And so if you're lucky, this is not something that you've kind of had to experience before. You haven't had to experience this silence in your life. But if you haven't, it is undeniable that the Advent season, the fruits of silence show up more than any other time of year. Every Christmas, the, the facts are always the same. Across the country, across the world, suicide rates go up. Drug overdoses become more common. Divorce rates skyrocket. From Black Friday to the 25th, way up every single year. And whether or not we can see it in our own spheres of influences, it's happening. And for many of us, this is already the hardest time of year. So if that's you, I wanted to let you know that this message is for you. This community is for you. So if that is you, don't, don't leave this building today having said nothing and sitting in more silence. Speak up. This community is for you. This, this message is for you. I know, I know because I've, I've experienced this kind of silence uh, firsthand. Uh, several years ago, the Christmas of my senior year of college, um, I found myself living in this kind of circumstantial silence. In the course of three months leading up to Christmas and just beyond, um, I, <laughs> I, over the course of the three months, I had a nervous breakdown. I was diagnosed and treated for clinical depression. I kind of lost all hold of my life in the span of three months. It all very quickly unraveled, and then Christmas came along, and it was kind of like salt on the wound. There was a, a three-week period where I lost about 30 pounds because I just I couldn't eat. I didn't want to eat. All I did for three months was I slept and then spent my waking moments hoping that there would eventually be an end to this silence. I literally felt like my heart was like being suppressed, like it was held in a vice and being pushed down. But even in the midst of that, there was hope. See, I attended a very small Bible college, uh, and so the majority of my classes were focused either on uh, biblical literacy and foundations, or in this case, uh, on pastoral work, helping care for people. And so I found myself, Christmas time, my senior year of college, sitting in a counseling class, learning how to take care of people in crisis, while I myself was sitting there in crisis. <laughs> and I'll never forget, uh, my professor is this amazing man, his name was Richard Shell. And I was sitting in class and he was um, explaining a story of this woman that he had counseled several years earlier. And he was explaining the circumstances of her life that she had come into his office with. And as he was explaining it, 
I was like checking off a list in my head and I was like, that's me. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. All, he was just talking about me. And so after, uh, after, the, after the lesson, I, I got up and I very sheepishly walked up to him and I said, you know, Mr. Shell, suppose I had a friend who was going through something like this. What should I say to my friend? Uh, and keep in mind, this was three months into basically a massive depress- depressive episode. So I hadn't showered. My clothes were unkempt. I cannot speak as to the state of the scent of my breath. My shoes were undone. My clothes were baggy because of all the weight I'd lost. And I stood up to him and I said, I have a friend who's going through something like this. And he kind of chuckled and he said, well, Logan, if your friend wants to talk to someone, I'd be right here. And that kind of was really the first spark of hope that I'd had in a while. And that spark of hope eventually kind of cascaded and spiraled over the next eight months. I found myself going to counseling and I, I found a really good community to love and support me. Even, even Rich, he gave me $20 out of his own wallet to go to my first counseling session. That was the first spark of hope that I had and it cascaded into something much, much more beautiful. And there was eventually a spark for Zachariah too. As we jump back into the story, we find um, right after the angel visits Zechariah, same angel Gabriel goes and visits Mary. Um, and eventually, when Elizabeth is about six months pregnant, Mary comes and visits Elizabeth because the angel told her that she too was pregnant. So Mary comes and visits her and they come to celebrate both her pregnancy and Elizabeth's. And as they're celebrating the baby inside Elizabeth's womb, it says it literally leaps for joy in the presence of an unborn Jesus. And Zachariah would have been there. The text says that it would, they entered Zachariah's home, which meant he probably opened the door and they walked right past him on their way in. And so Zachariah would have been there for the whole thing. And in the midst of his silence, he sees for the very first time hope for the future of something that God is doing, something beyond his own skepticism, beyond his own silence. And I like to think that this was the spark in his mind that started the ball rolling that eventually brought hope to his life. So it says that Mary stayed with them for about three more months and it, three more months in the midst of Zachariah's silence where he gets to watch the mother of the unborn savior of the world in his home. And I can't help but imagine that naturally that would kind of bring some hope, especially during the time of life that he was in. And so that's the idea. If we're talking about silence, we have to also talk about hope in conjunction with it. Because you see, we often, we have a misconception of hope. A lot of times when we hear hope, we hear the word hope, but what we really think is optimism, and they could not be more different. So for example, uh, the definition of optimism is literally the act of choosing to look at something and deciding to focus on how it could turn out for the best. Now, this is amazing. This is a really, really amazing thing. If you are an optimistic person, do not change. There are a ton um, of, of biblical circumstances and a ton of uh, scriptural literacy behind being optimistic. Don't stop being optimistic. But optimism is not hope. They are two completely different things. See, the Bible looks at hope a little bit differently uh, than we do. There's a lot of words, both in the Old Testament, the New Testament, Hebrew and Greek, for this idea of hope, but they all boil down to the same thing, and it always comes back to this idea of anticipation. It is this anticipatory expectation of something more to come in the future. 
So when a, par- a farmer plants his seed and then he tends to his crop and he waits patiently for the fruits of his labor to come, that is this biblical idea of hope. It is sitting and waiting in an anticipatory expectation of something to come. The, the word picture for this that's often associated with is the idea of a cord. Think like a, like a bungee cord that's pulled taut. It's pulled tight. And there, it's that idea of tension, Because when you pull a cord tight, that tension means something because you know that the character of that cord is consistent. You know that if you pull a bungee cord tight and you let go of one side, it's not just going to stay there in the air or it's not just going to droop down. You know the characteristic of that cord is when you pull it back and you let go, it'll snap back to your hand because the characteristics of that cord does not change. Physics doesn't change. And you could pull that cord tight 100,000 million times and it will never change. It's that idea of tension, but knowing what's to come into the future. If you had uh, asked an, an ancient Hebrew for the, this idea, a lot of teachers have taught on this, but the way it was explained to me is that if you were to bring up the idea of hope in ancient biblical times, they would have thought of it in terms of a timeline. So the past over here and the future over here. And a lot of times when we think of hope, it's us looking to the future and going, I really wish that that can turn out the best possible way. But the biblical idea of hope is so much different. It's the idea of, of looking into the past and saying, I've seen what God has done. I've seen his faithfulness over and over and over again. And it's the idea of looking backwards at the beauty that God has done in the past and walking forward backwards looking at what God has done. It's terrible driving advice. <laughs> Don't do that in the car. But it's great advice for life. It's the idea of hope. Rather than looking to the future and wishing that something can turn out the best way possible, it's the idea of looking back on the faithfulness and the goodness that God has shown to his people all throughout history and knowing that the future will be just as miraculous as what he's done. There's tension in that. That's this idea of hope. So as the silence of Zechariah's life continued on, it becomes very clear, very clear, very quickly that he was focusing on this very same idea of hope that we're talking about. Because as the story continues, Zechariah finds his hope, and he finds it in a very, very loud way. Uh, Starting in verse 57, we read, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy on her, and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day... They came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him. Uh, they were going to call him after his father Zechariah. That's what you did in those days if you had a son named after the father. But his mother spoke up and said, "No, he is to be called John." They said to her, "There's no one among your relatives who has that name." So they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name his child, and he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, "His name shall be John." So Zachariah's son is born, and when the time comes to name him, I can't help imagine, but this spark of hope that Zechariah first saw when Mary came and visited starts to blossom into something beautiful amidst the silence of his life. And it kind of comes to full fruition in this moment, and they come to him and they go, Zechariah, what, what do you want his name to be? And they're like, oh, right, you can't talk. Let's find him a whiteboard. And they like run around the house and find something to write on. And they give it to him, and he just writes out, his name will be John, and in that exact moment... Hope, amidst the silence, sparks and turns into something bigger. And we read in verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. And finally, he sees what God is doing in the midst of his silence. 
And he's sitting there and in the circumstances, the silence of his life kind of connects the dots in his head and he, he can't help but praise. And when he finally is able to like step out of the silence of his life, the very first thing he does is he starts praying and praise he does because the next chunk of scripture is literally called Zachariah's song. And it is this extended um, bit of praise because after months of silence, he just starts singing. And in this praise, he calls back to the faithfulness and the love that God has shown to his people over and over in the past and how there is so much to be hopeful for in the future. See, Zachariah got it. He understood after living a life steeped in silence, both literally and figuratively, that very silence that he hated that was his downfall. That very silence afforded him the circumstances to look at the true hope of God. Not in constantly looking to tomorrow and wishing that things could possibly turn out for the best, but rather by living in that tension, by realizing the tightening of that cord is the idea of hope, by living in that tension, not by looking forward and hoping for the best, but in the anticipatory expectation that God has done so much and he will do so much more in the future. This is shown even, even more of how true this is in the culmination of these verses. At the very end of Zechariah's long song of praise, we find in verse 80, there's a description of his child. It says, And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And the hope that Zechariah found in his silence was not misplaced because this child grew strong both physically and in the spirit and he went out into the wilderness and this man eventually, as scripture goes on, we find out this is the guy that we know as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist spent his life preparing the way and paving the path for Jesus to come. And when Jesus came, he came and he was gonna turn the whole world on its head. So it's time to ask, What's the point? What's the point of looking at Zechariah? We can learn from Zechariah in this Christmas story. Like, it's a great story. It's really uplifting. But when you leave this building and the silence of your life is still as pervasive as ever, what are you going to do with it then? What's, what's the point then? And we find the answer very simply in Scripture. It's, it's that idea of hope. Zechariah learned that hope, true hope, is not just wishful optimism for the future, but it's an expectant anticipation of what God has done and is going to do again. And the biggest trap to fall into, this, especially this time of year, is the idea that the silence in your life has to completely dis- disappear before you can see the hope on the horizon, before you can see what God is doing in the future, when in reality, it's often the opposite that's the most true. God doesn't tend to give us hope for the future in spite of the silence in our lives, but often he uses the silence of our lives to give us time to see what he's really going to do. That's exactly what Zechariah got the chance to do. He saw that silence in his life as a plague from the very beginning until it actually gave him the chance to see that God was doing more. The Advent season ultimately is a season of hope. I want you guys to remember that more than anything. Not because December 25th is some kind of magic, amazing day, but because this season is a living embodiment of our hope in a God that came for us once before and he's going to come for us again. See, that's the beauty of Christmas is that it's not just, it's not just looking back on the fact that Jesus was born and celebrating the fact that he was born, but it's also the expectation of knowing that he's going to come and do it all again. 
he's going to return and do some amazing things. We find uh, in Revelation chapter 21, we read, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be them, will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' birth, but it's also a reminder of the hope that he's gonna come back in the future. That is the anticipation that we get the chance to sit in. And when he does come back, everything is going to be made new and the silence will not be king in your life any longer and the pain and the fear and standing amidst the silence of your life and seeing everyone around you seeing, seemingly being jolly and happy, that will not be the last word. God is coming and everything is going to be made new. So if you're living in that tension amidst the silence of the world, this is, this is my encouragement to you. Look back look back at the faithfulness of God and walk hopefully into the future. We, we get the chance uh, every single week here uh, to take a time of communion. Um, and I think this, this really ties in, in well with this idea of anticipation because something that we do here at Real Life every single week is the idea of breaking bread and drinking juice in memory of God, but the circumstances in which that happened were just a humble dinner, a quiet room, some friends. And so uh, there are some people walking around. If you don't have an emblem, uh, go ahead and raise your hand and they'll be bringing it to you. But I find the beauty of this, especially in line with the Christmas season, because it's just that. It's, we feel like we have to wait for that silence to end before the beauty of God can come, when in reality it's so much different. And so we, it, it's not that we take communion after Salvation comes, but it's all throughout, every single day. And so uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, we find uh, the passage here. Uh, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Afterwards, he said, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's proclaim his death. Now as the, as the band sings this next song, uh, I want to invite you to stay seated. Have a time of reflection. And if you find yourself this season in the shoes of Zechariah and you don't know how to deal with the silence in your life or the silence in your heart, then use this time of worship as a time both of worship and reflection, to sit and to listen, because much like Zechariah discovered, when you embrace the silence, it suddenly becomes a lot easier to hear and see the hope that God has planned for you in the future. So maybe it's time for you to take a moment, just watch the snowfall, and enjoy the silence. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.